The Vine Keeper Bible Podcast, Guyana, South America, the land of many waters. My name is Rick Walker. Hello, my friends. Well, we are making our way through the gospel according to Luke. Luke, the physician and fellow worker with Paul on his missionary journeys. The man who was with Paul when he was in prison writing Colossians and Philemon. He accompanied Paul to Rome when he made his appeal to Caesar. The man who was with Paul in Rome at the time of his martyrdom years later. And the man who found time to write the Gospel of Luke and Acts. The only Gentile writer of a biblical book. The Gospel of Luke is addressed to most excellent Theophilus. Today we're going to learn about this mysterious man. Not a name that you encounter a lot in the Bible. When Solomon was born, the Lord told the prophet Nathan to tell David to give Solomon a second name. It is called a blessing name, and that name was Jedidiah. Jedidiah means loved by God. Originally a Hebrew name, which was taken over in the Greek-speaking world as Theophilus. Jedidiah is Hebrew for loved by God. Theophilus is Greek for loved by God. It became a very common name among the Gentiles, fairly common in the first century, with roots going all the way back to Solomon. Well, Luke and Acts are addressed to this man named Theophilus. Everything we know about this man is found in the opening verses of Luke and Acts. He is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. His name never comes up in the church fathers. So we don't have a lot to go on in identifying Theophilus. The other Gospels jump directly into the story of Jesus. Matthew begins with the genealogy. Mark begins with John the Baptist as the forerunner of the Messiah. The Gospel of John begins with Jesus as the Word who was with God and was God. But the Gospel of Luke is different. Luke is the only Gospel that is addressed to a person. Theophilus. Today you are going to learn what we know about this man. Why would Luke address his gospel and Acts to this man? Who was he? Well, we don't need to turn to a lot of different places in the Bible. Everything we know is wrapped up in these dedications at the beginning of Luke and Acts. A lot of people were already writing Gospels. That is what Luke says. Many had written accounts of the life of Jesus. Surely two of those were Matthew and Mark. 
But there were many more that we don't know about. And Luke decided to write his own gospel for most excellent Theophilus. He wanted Theophilus to know the certainty of the things he had been taught, the things that were passed down to us by eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So let's take all this apart. We begin with most excellent Theophilus. Is this a symbolic name for Christians as a group? Christians are the loved of God. Is Luke writing to them? It is possible, but very few think this is a symbolic designation for the church. Maybe it is a pseudonym, a false name to hide one's true identity. Sometimes people need to remain anonymous. They don't want all the attention. Maybe Theophilus stands in place of the man's real name. Another idea is that he was Luke's patron. Someone who financially supported Luke to do his research and to write the story of Jesus and the early church. Maybe someone who is going to publish Luke's work. A patron would not finance a work and then take that work and simply put it on his bookshelf or scroll shelf and keep it for himself. There would be another purpose, and that would be to publish it and give it broader dissemination. It has a very formal kind of dedication. And you find the same kind of thing in the beginning of Acts. Everett Ferguson, in Backgrounds of New Testament Christianity, says that this is a kind of formal dedication that was often found at the beginning of works intended to be published and distributed in the market. So a book for the market. Or maybe Theophilus was a government official. This is actually the predominant view. Because he is called most excellent Theophilus, he was surely a man of high status, of distinction. Roman government officials were addressed as most excellent. For example, when Paul was on trial before Felix in Caesarea, his lawyer began with a statement about the peace which Felix had brought about in the land. He's trying to flatter the judge. And he says, everywhere and in every way, we acknowledge this peace, most excellent Felix. We acknowledge what you have done, most excellent Felix. Acts 24, verse 3. But others in society could also be honored in this way. Perhaps a patron who financed his literary work. Perhaps a Roman government official. 
but certainly someone of high status. So a prominent theory is that Theophilus was some high official in the Roman government. He may have been a man concerned that the Christian faith was some kind of a threat to the Roman government. Maybe that's his responsibility to take care of those kinds of things. And so some scholars say Luke was written to demonstrate that this new religion was not a threat to the Romans. And this is not a far-fetched idea. One way to show that Jesus and his religion were not a threat to the Romans would be to show that another Roman official did not see Jesus and his religion as a threat. And that person is none other than Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. Luke seems to go out of his way to show that Pontius Pilate did not see Jesus as a threat. In Matthew and Mark, Pilate simply asks one time, What crime has Jesus committed? He then hands Jesus over to be crucified. But in Luke, Pilate declares Jesus' innocence Three times. Pilate's declaration of Jesus' innocence is highlighted by stating it three different times in Luke chapter 23. Pilate said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. And then a few verses later, This man has been examined by me, and you have all witnessed it. I find no reason for him to be charged with a crime. When Pilate spoke to them a third time, he asked what crime Jesus had committed. There is no basis for a death penalty, so he will be punished and he will be released. Maybe Luke shows that Pontius Pilate did not consider Jesus to be a threat because Theophilus is also a Roman government official who wants to know if Christianity is a threat. So he is presenting evidence from another Roman government official. Well, there's a lot we don't know about Theophilus. It would be helpful if the church fathers in the second century had said something about Theophilus. But there is not a single word. Whoever he was, he was a man of social status and somehow strategically significant to the growth of the kingdom. Maybe a government official whose decisions would directly impact the church or maybe a patron who published and distributed Luke and Acts in the book trade. We don't know. Patron, government official, some other person of high status, a person who wanted to remain anonymous. We are left with a lot of questions. 
But we do know that Theophilus was a well-educated Gentile. We know from the greeting, this formula of giving honor by saying most excellent was practiced among the Gentiles. It was not a Jewish formula. Jews were not addressed as most excellent. So Theophilus was a Gentile. Luke was a well-educated Gentile writing to a well-educated Gentile. Luke was a highly educated physician, and his writing is also highly polished Greek. Some of the best in the New Testament. We also know from small details in Luke that he was a Gentile. There are places that explain things that would be well known to a Jew. And we find the same kind of thing in Mark, which was also written for a Gentile audience. If I were writing to a Ukrainian, or if I were speaking to a Ukrainian, I would not say that Donetsk is in the Donbass region. I would not say that Kiev is the capital. Those are the kinds of things a Ukrainian would know. In fact, it would be rather insulting to explain to a Ukrainian where Donetsk is located. It would be like explaining to an American that the great and glorious state of Texas (laughs) borders Mexico. But if I were writing to someone in some other country who was not a Ukrainian, I might explain that Donetsk is in the Donbass region because they may not know that. Well, that's the kind of thing we have in the Gospel of Luke. For example, in the birth narrative, In Luke 1, verse 26, it is said that the angel Gabriel was sent to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Well, every Jew knows that Nazareth is a town in Galilee. A Gentile would not. Capernaum was Jesus' home during his ministry. He performed his first exorcism in the Capernaum synagogue. And Luke 4 and verse 31 says that Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. Again, Luke tells a story of the two men who walked and talked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. And it says that the village of Maus was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Luke 24 and verse 13. A detail that a Jew would know, but a Gentile probably would not. So those are the kinds of details that indicate that Theophilus was a Gentile. But not just places, also Jewish feasts. In Luke 22 and verse 1, 
Jesus is eating the Last Supper. And Luke says that the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was coming. Well, every Jew knows that the Passover is also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But a Gentile like Theophilus may not know that, probably would not know that. So Luke is writing to people who do not know that Nazareth and Capernaum are in Galilee and that a mouse is seven miles from Jerusalem. They do not know that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is also called the Passover. Gentiles do not know, and so Luke tells them. So you can look for things like that in Luke and Mark. Look for explanations. Both are written for Gentile audiences. Well, enough of that. You get the idea. Then there is the cleansing of the temple. There's something very interesting here. When you do a side-by-side comparison of Jesus cleansing the temple, Luke is very different than Matthew and Mark. Luke softens the story. You know the story. It was during the Passover, and Jews were arriving to the city from all parts of the world. They were coming up from the south through Egypt. They were coming down from the north through Galilee. People were coming. People were coming. Jesus is coming. His disciples are coming. The crowds are growing larger and larger as they draw closer and closer to Jerusalem. All these people have come to celebrate the Passover. Most were Jews, but some were proselytes. They enter the temple to worship, to offer a Passover lamb and other sacrifices, and to pay the annual temple tax. Paying the tax was probably not the most exciting thing happening. But it had to be paid, and it had to be paid in the local currency, a half shekel. So they go to the money changers. You have to exchange your foreign currency for local currency, of course. Hello, I would like to exchange my money for shekels. I need enough to pay the temple tax and to buy a Passover lamb. But how much will that cost me? Okay, well, it will cost you this much. Why is it so expensive? Well, it is the Passover, and there's high demand. Plus, you have to buy a lamb from one of our vendors. They have been certified by the rabbis as healthy, acceptable sacrifices. And I guess you know that if you don't pay the temple tax, the officials will confiscate everything you have. That was really true. If you did not pay the tax, they would confiscate what you had. 
Do you see my sign? The money exchanger says. Read my sign. My sign says, pay a lot or lose a lot. That is our slogan for money changers in the temple during the Passover. It's your choice. Pay a lot or lose a lot. Don't take that too seriously. It is a joke. (laughs) Someone is going to come to me and say, our preacher said that the money changers in the temple had a slogan on a sign. And the slogan was, Pay a lot or lose a lot. Mr. Walker, can you tell us where we can find that information? Is it in Josephus? Is it in the church fathers? (laughs) Where is it? It's a joke. I don't want to hear this in sermons and Bible classes. It's humor. So you had to pay the tax, and you needed to offer a Passover lamb. But if you were poor, you could buy a pigeon instead of a lamb. And some people would also buy a young bull for a fellowship offering. Okay, exchange my money. And can you tell me where the house of prayer for Gentiles is? Well, this is it. But it's full of sheep and cows and pigeons. Well, Jesus is not happy about all of this. Commercializing the Passover, price gouging, a den of thieves. The Jewish historian Josephus reports that 200,000 lambs were sacrificed during Passover. That is a lot of lambs. Now, maybe Josephus is exaggerating, but that is what he says. This is big business, and the chief priests get a cut. They are in charge of the temple. They are letting this go on. They are making a fortune. In America, this would be called racketeering, and it is a crime. So Jesus is turning over the tables of the money changers. He is driving the animals out of the Gentile court. But let's get back to our point. Luke softens all of this. Luke just says that Jesus drove out those who were selling. There is no turning over tables. That is in the other Gospels. But in Luke, it is simply, he drove out those who were selling. He seems to want to soften it for the Gentiles. He wants to make it more palatable. It's a very interesting theory. We know that Theophilus is a man who had been taught. Whoever he was, He had been taught about Jesus. Luke is not writing to someone who is clueless. Luke says, I am writing so that you might know the certainty of that which you have been taught. And the word means oral teaching. 
it is not just what he had read. He had received oral teaching from someone. Some take this to mean that Theophilus was a Christian. Well, we would like to think that he was a Christian, and and that very well may be true. But it may just be some very important person who has questions about what he has been taught about this religion that has spread throughout the world. Maybe he's got some kind of decision to make as a government official, and he wants to know the truth about Jesus and this religion. Not necessarily that he had been converted. Well, many Gospels had already been written. Luke says that many people had already taken upon themselves to write an account of the life of Jesus. Surely that would include Matthew and Mark, and maybe others that have not survived. John wasn't written until later. So Luke wants him to be certain about Jesus. So why didn't Luke just hand him one of the other gospel accounts that someone else had written? He had a lot to choose from. Wouldn't that be easier just to give them a copy of Matthew or Mark or something else? It is a lot of effort to write one's own gospel. Luke was apparently not satisfied with the others. Not that they were necessarily bad or wrong, but they just did not present the Jesus story in the way Luke would present it to a Gentile. Luke has points he wants to emphasize. So Luke doesn't think that the others are necessarily bad, just not what maybe Theophilus needs. In the end, we are left with a lot of questions about this man. So let's sum up what we have talked about today. We know that Theophilus was a Gentile of high social standing. Maybe he was a Roman government official, or maybe he was Luke's patron, supporting him financially in the writing of Luke and Acts, and then putting them into the book market for broader dissemination. Theophilus had been taught about Jesus, but Luke wants him to be more confident that what he has learned about Jesus is true. Luke wrote the gospel for Theophilus because he himself did not think the other gospels were exactly what Theophilus and other Gentile readers needed. One Gentile writer writing to another Gentile. A massive undertaking by Luke. Paul's companion. Whoever Theophilus was, and whatever role he played, we have this gospel because of him.